Welcome back to another episode of the Cornell Thank You Podcast. I'm Michelle, and I'm here with Steph. Right after we had a great conversation with Ali Solomon, who is so interesting. She is not only a celebrated art teacher in New York City, but she is also a cartoonist and a humorist. And we loved hearing her path from Cornell into that field, which is maybe not what you would expect. Yes. And I've never met a cartoonist before. So to hear sort of how she creates these cartoons and comes up with these ideas on a daily basis was fascinating. I think you're really going to enjoy listening to her story and you'll hear it right after we roll the intro. Welcome to another episode of the Cornell Thank You Podcast. I'm Stephanie, and Michelle and I are so excited today to welcome Allie Solomon. She is a humorist, a cartoonist, a mom, a teacher. She does it all, and we're just excited to get to know her. We've never met Allie before, but she's the cousin of a friend of ours, and so when we heard about all of the things that she's done, we jumped at the chance to interview her. So welcome, Allie. Thank you so much for having me. We are so excited because you are so relatable. I feel like to everybody, but especially to our, let's say a couple of decades, your stuff is so good. (laughs) Somebody gave me your book and I read it from cover to cover. And as I said to you before the interview started, Steph and I were just like, we could not get enough of your stuff. So we are so excited. And before we get into all that stuff that you're doing right now, tell us a little bit about your experience with Cornell. When did you know you wanted to go? What was your year or two looking like leading up to your arrival on campus? campus? Oh, gosh. I felt like I should have known a lot more about colleges than I actually did. (laughs) I I was so easily influenced by anybody who knew more than me. So (laughs) I had a couple of cousins who went to Cornell. I had never set foot on the campus. We... (laughs) because this is typical of my family, we drove all the way up to Cornell on a Sunday and everything was closed. So instead of (laughs) doing anything, we kind of got out of the car, looked around from the car. And then my dad's like, well, back in the car. That was it. (laughs) That sometimes that's enough for Cornell, right? That's all you need to see. Oh yeah. We were were up on North campus. I was like, oh, green. Little did I know that I would never see that green (laughs) again. Where are you from? Where were, where did you go to high school? What town? I'm from Long Island, a town called Belmore. Okay. Oh yeah, sure. So had people from your high school gone there before? Would you, was there a buzz about Cornell that made you interested in it outside of your cousins? My best friend got an early decision and I did one of those, like, we should take different paths. We're going to go different places. And then I got the acceptance. I was like, yeah, no, I'm going to Cornell. (laughs) (laughs) We should stay together. We should (laughs) Um, Did did you all live together your freshman year or? We decided that it would be smart to take different paths at Cornell. Okay, perfect. Good idea. Where did you live freshman year? I lived in Mary Donlin. Okay. So did I. Now, by the way, what year did you graduate? Oh, I was 2001. Yeah, she's a baby. All right. Long after us. Okay. Not that long. (laughs) The people that were put in Donlin before North Campus was a thing really had a pretty good time. And I am still bitter about High Rise 5. How many episodes am I going to mention that? (laughs) I know. It's it's just, it sticks in your craw. (laughs) Yeah. No, Donlin was a fun dorm. I liked it too. I assume you did too. It was all freshmen. I was there the year right before they made all the freshmen go to North Campus. And so what was your experience? How was your roommate experience? How were the people on your floor? What was life like up there? 
I loved it. I really bonded with my floor mates. I feel like everyone was sort of on the same wavelength as me. Like we were very much a, we could go out or we can all just hang out in the lounge because we're all here. We're just going to do that. So I know what your career is now. I'm curious what school you were in, what your major was, and if that ties up to what you ended up doing. I would probably say not at all, but... (laughs) I was a communication major at the Ag and Life Sciences School. Yeah. Okay. So I took a lot of science courses and I've used none of them. <laughs> but I think in my head, like I wasn't sure if I wanted to do something with art or not. I was like, oh, communication. I could go into advertising. I could go into TV. And it didn't quite work out that way. But in my head, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, fast forwarding, and we'll talk about it soon. You're a tremendous communicator, just in a different medium, maybe, than you had studied (laughs) while you were there. But I can't think of a better way to communicate with people than to relate to them with humor, especially during these times where we really need it. Score one for the communications major. I think it works. Yeah. That's a nice way to put it. I never thought of it like that. Yeah. So obviously you had an interest in art and a talent for it. Was that something you did in high school or did that come later in life? Uh, I did a lot of that in high school. I was always drawing little cartoons and things for the school paper. And so when I got to Cornell, I was trying to find some way to continue it, even though it wasn't my major. And you did, right? Did you do some cartooning for the school paper? I did. I had a a daily comic strip that I did for my entire time. A daily comic strip. Yeah. Every day you had to think of a new idea and draw it and (laughs) submit it. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, that would be rough. I mean, there's a lot of material. There's a lot of material. If you sit outside the straight, there's a tremendous amount of material. However, <laughs> making that relatable and funny every single day is pretty impressive. So we, were they single entries? Was it a one picture and a one liner or a full comic strip? What'd you do? I was really into comic strips. Like I read a lot of Calvin and Hobbes. I'm like, this is going to be my life. <laughs> and so I decided to make it about Cornell life, even though I didn't mention Cornell by name. You know, there things were sort of loosely based on some of my experiences. And then I realized that they would be more fun to base it not on my experiences. <laughs> so I just got longer stories going. So it's a comic strip like you would see Peanuts comic strip. There's yeah. a series of, and you're telling a teeny little story in three or four blocks. Yeah. And sometimes they would continue. Sometimes the stories would continue through a couple of They need to get a hold of these. Oh, God. I, I just can't even imagine how <laughs> no. that went down. Every day coming up with, I couldn't, couldn't think of one. Yeah. No, I I don't know how you did it every single day. Did you ever get writer's block and panic? Constantly. Like I would just sort of walk in. I remember senior year, I lived with 11 girls in this house and I would just walk into the living room and be like, someone tell me something funny right now. (laughs) Yeah. About anyone, anyone, please. (laughs) And how long would it take you to do one? Like, okay, let's say you have the idea. How long from, you know, having the idea to submission? I was pretty fast. I like, I could draw it really fast, but I was also like a huge procrastinator. Okay. So, you know, the daily sun would have their deadlines and I would literally be like, I need someone to drive me down there. Cause I didn't get it in in time. And so I'd be in the backseat of someone's car who volunteered to drive me like drawing things. And, you know, you said you did a lot of science. There's nothing funny about that. <laughs> so you had to well. get your material everywhere else. <laughs> And so are you literally hand drawing the cartoons or is there some graphic computer aspect to it? Well, this was 2001 or or the late nineties. So it was all drawn by hand. Oh my God. Not only that, 
I didn't realize because you know I'm so smart with technology. I didn't realize that most cartoonists draw things big and then shrink it down. I was literally measuring the newspaper and like got these tiny pens and like what? Eventually, someone's like, you know, you could take it to a photocopier. I'm like, oh, oh, draw it big and then just shrink it. Yeah, that would make so much easier. I mean, this would be my routine: draw a teeny stick figure, submit it straight to Gannett Health Center. I mean, I would have a nervous (laughs) breakdown. Yeah, yeah, there would be a lot of tequila drinking. I, I can't even imagine. That's where you get your ideas, tequila drinking. That's right. All right. So you do that for the Cornell Daily Sun. I assume it's not for pay. You're doing this as just an extracurricular or you got paid? No, it was through the sheer love of doing something for free. Yeah. And so other than that, did you get involved in other activities or Greek life or sports or was this basically took up all of your non-academic time? Not nearly enough. For a while, I was drawing cartoons for the humor magazine and I played like club soccer, you know, the usual stuff. That's unusual stuff. I mean, this is unbelievable. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So that was your freshman year. You lived in Donlin. Then where did you live after that? We were all planning on staying in Donlin. Like my floor was really close knit. There was like 25 of us who were like, yeah, we're going to stay. And then they're like, nope, freshman only starting now. Yeah. So a bunch of us, we got a off. I think it was called Campus Hill. Yeah. Got an apartment down there, which was great. Yeah, they were great. They were nice apartments. Okay, that was sophomore year. Junior year, did you stay the whole year? Did you go away? Junior year, I moved to Cascadilla for half the year because I needed a place just for half the year because then I studied abroad in Australia. Oh, how was that? Oh, my God. That was incredible. Did you go with anybody you knew or you went all by yourself? Uh, There were a couple of friends that I knew that were going, but we were all staying in different places in in Melbourne. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's a pretty interesting experience. And then what about senior year? And then senior year, 11 of us got a house and lived together. <laughs> we were, what was the address? 505 Dryden. All right. So now as a senior, are you starting to think about your career and where did you end up after you graduated Cornell? It's funny. I come from a family of teachers. So I was starting to realize that I probably wasn't going to work in like advertising or what I thought I was going to do. And so I was panicking a little and my dad did his whole, be a teacher. It's wonderful. You know, back when being a teacher was wonderful. And <laughs> well, it still is. It's, it's changed a lot, I think, yeah. since this day, but okay. I still love it. But So I applied to some grad schools for art education and oh, this is where the big screw up happened. <laughs> so I was, I was deciding between Columbia and NYU because they have very different art programs and I really couldn't decide. So eventually I decided to do teacher's college and I sent in my check and then I never heard anything. And maybe two weeks before graduation, I got an envelope in the mail and I opened it up and it was my check made out to Columbia. Oh no. But there was a post-it note on it saying, we think you meant to send this (gasps) elsewhere. I had sent it to NYU. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's no. beautiful. I was, I was like, oh, I don't deserve to go anywhere, man. <laughs> and so I called Columbia and I, I gave like a shorthand version of what happened. They're like, so do you still have the check? I'm like, I do. And they're like, fine, you can come. Oh, good. Well, say that's what it's all about. They wanted the check and they wanted you. Exactly. They wanted the money. Sure. Yeah. So you went to Columbia. I did. And what you got, what, a master's in art education? Yeah. And I got certification. And then what was your first job coming out of there? 
It's interesting. My, my first job was actually while I was still there, I was subbing in various schools and I was trying to find like a, like a slightly closer to home school to sub in. And so I applied to Hunter College to sub because it was right near the, the high school that was connected to it. And I guess they thought I was applying for a job opening. So they called me in for an interview and a demo lesson. And I was like, wow, they really, you know, vet their subs really hard. <laughs> So I went in, they're like, what do you know about Chinese art history? I know a lot. I know nothing. And so I did research and I did this demo lesson and they ended up hiring me for a teaching position. That is unbelievable. So I was like, okay, okay. I want, I really want the money because it'll pay for school. And so I, I talked to them. I was like, listen, I still need to student teach. And they're like, okay, this is weird. And so we did this weird thing where every period I wasn't teaching, I would jump into another teacher's classroom and student teach. So it was a weird situation, but it was a huge, great learning place. Like it was really, they must've really wanted you because that is highly unusual. They basically created that hybrid program for you. It was very nice of them because I was, once I, once I heard about the job, I'm like, I want to do that. I know you probably did things in between, but your, your current career and what you're doing now is so fascinating. I want to make sure that we spend enough time on that. So now tell us what you're doing both in your teaching life, and then we'll talk about all of the work that you're doing in the cartoon and publishing world. So tell us, what what grade do you teach? So right now, I, I actually only taught at Hunter for that one year. Okay. And then I jumped nearby to Eastside Middle School, and I started teaching there. And so I teach sixth, seventh, and eighth grade art. It's a dream. It's a really, it really lovely school. The kids are great. The staff is great. So you're not getting pelted with paper mache and yeah. glue. All day. I am. Yes. And you don't care. It sounds fabulous. Oh my God. Okay. You put on a smock. It's great. Okay. (laughs) I mean, that age to get them to focus and whatever. I remember my brother reminds me of the story all the time that at seventh grade, they were doing sculptures of some sort. And somebody went in one day and smashed everything to smithereens (gasps) in the room, which they thought was the funniest thing in the world. I mean, they're so rambunctious at seventh and eighth grade. Like what they think is Uh funny, they don't realize the consequences that nobody had a final art project. (laughs) That's so sad. It was sand. Yeah. So (laughs) I can't imagine the challenges of that every day and motivating them to do that. It's fun. You know, it's, uh, there's a little little less stress because you don't have to teach like a specialized test or anything. Uh That's true. Do they know that you have this whole other career going on at the same time? A handful of them know, but most of them probably don't. Really? I would wear that on my t-shirt. Yeah. It's it's hard to work casually in (laughs) (laughs) that conversation with a 13 year old. All right. You have a great website and we're going to tell our listeners what that is so they can find you. So we were looking around and so you have books, you have articles, cartoons that you've done. But what I'm curious about is you obviously do all the drawing. Do you also do the humor? Do you come up with the words or do you have a collaborator? For the cartoons, it's all me. I do the writing and the drawing. For some of the humor pieces, sometimes I'll collaborate with a writer. It's really rewarding. I really love collaborating with people. First of all, the bingo board was maybe one of my favorite things I've seen in a very long time. That was brilliant. And people have to go to the website just to check that out. That was too smart. Thank you. And your cartoons are in The New Yorker, right? Yes. So how did that happen? Oh, man. It was a very long journey. (laughs) I mean, do they come to you or you had a portfolio and you submit to them? Oh, they definitely don't come to you. They don't come. The New Yorker (laughs) is not calling you. Okay. Not knocking at your door and you knock at their door. You knock at their door. Okay. So you have a portfolio, you send them in and they 
decide which ones they want or accept them or reject them. So basically once a week, you submit like a batch of cartoons. Usually I think it's up to 10, although I can never quite get to that number. And they review them and they bring them to the meetings. And if you sell something, they'll send you an email that says the word, okay, as the subject heading. And I don't see that. Okay. Very often, (laughs) but when you do, you're like, oh my God, this is it. So you have to come up with, let's say five to 10 ideas every single week. Yes. I mean, you don't have to, you could choose when you want to submit, but I try to do it every week. So do you have a specific style that you use for specific publications? In other words, the New Yorker has its own kind of vibe. Are you, when you write a cartoon, you thinking, all right, this is the one I'm going to do for the New Yorker. I feel like everything I draw now is always with like the New Yorker as the first goal in mind. And then, you know, once it gets rejected, I'll retool things to suit different other markets or different other places. So you can submit it someplace else. Yeah, there's sort of like like a list of places that take cartoons. And- okay. And how did it come about that you got the book deal? And I think you have another book deal coming up. I do. So tell us about that. The first one, I kind of call it my pandemic baby because it, it happened <laughs> sort of right before it fully hit. So I had done a, a piece with one of my collaborators and good friend, Janine Annette. And we had written this piece for McSweeney's. Now it's all about aging and you know right. the, little, the little nuances of how you measure age. And for some reason, it struck a nerve and it got shared a lot. It, I guess for us, it went viral. It's, it's hard to use that word because I like at the end of the day, did it go viral? I don't know. But for us. <laughs> and so, you know, we have all this momentum and stuff. So we looked at each other and we're like, well, it did really well. What can we do with this? And so our first thought was maybe to try a book proposal. And so we wrote up a whole book proposal and we pitched it to my agent and she liked it. She pitched it around and running press bit. So uh, let's tell our listeners what it is. I'm sure they'll be able to find it on your website, but it's, it's basically, it's called I am, and then in quotes, why do I need Venmo years old? And then the different cartoons in the book are all really about aging. So one of my favorites was I am quote, routinely being called ma'am years old. Oh, that was my favorite too. Uh, Yeah. I love that (laughs) one. Yeah. So it's, it's that it's a series of those and with a great cartoon and so clever. Yes. Thank you. Aging is so glamorous, you know? (laughs) It's so relatable, but also like you hit on all the things that happen that we go through our lives and don't really give it too much thought, except when I get called ma'am, then I'm very aggravated. But outside of that, a lot of the things that you point out, I'm like, yes, she is right about that. But I would not have thought to relate it that way in that cartoon. It's just, it's so fabulous. And then you've written a bunch of articles. Where do those go for the most part? Oh, oh, everywhere. I've done some for parenting sites. I, I've done some for the New Yorker, McSweeney's. They sort of go everywhere, wherever the topic takes me. So when you collaborate with your co-author, which comes first? Do you Does she come up with a line and you write the cartoon or how, how do you all work together? Ooh, this one was really fun. We created a Google Doc and just anytime she came up with something, she'd throw it in the Google Doc. If I came up with one, I'd throw it in there. And we would go through and be like, oh, I have a visual for that one. Or, oh, I have something that can elevate the joke, you know, with a, a visual. Right. And so we would play around. Then I did a couple where I did them. And she's like, mm, I don't know if that works. We, we, we pick and choose. I imagine in your house where you've got 
the kids home, you've got a lot going on. Do you have a space where you can just go? This is your office. It's quiet. You, you have time to do it. Or is it, you just like catch as catch can <laughs> you just, as ideas come to you, you jot them down or is there a real process and space? Like I, I live in a two bedroom apartment, so <laughs> there's four of us. So I like right next to my bed, which I'm like kind of looking at right now is my, my work desk. But honestly, I don't do a ton of work at my work desk. It's more just like if I have to do like something painting or something very detailed, I'll go there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes during before I, I start teaching, sometimes I'll jot things down. Sometimes I'll be on the couch watching Law and Order and I'm like, oh, maybe I'll draw this. That kind of thing. So yes. it's like work wherever you can. You snatch little times here and there. So you're a busy woman. You got teaching all of this <laughs> writing and cartooning on the side, two kids. Yeah, you got a lot going on. And yet you still took time to do this podcast. So thank you. My gosh. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> Well, we'd love to do our speed round with you if you're game for that. You you graduated in a time, I don't know if we've interviewed anyone right in that time zone. So, oh yeah? Yeah, we'll see what you were into. Tell us your favorite on and off campus dining. Huh. <laughs> Depends on when, but oh my gosh, I was in love with Banfies okay. in the Statler Hotel. I've never heard of that. Yeah, I think that's where Lizzie did most of her stuff. It came out of Banfees. You've smelled Banfees. I've smelled Banfees. On her clothing. <laughs> Bacon and Joy. That's oh, what it smells God, like. I need to really expensive. It was in the Statler. We would we would go for Sunday brunch. And it was at that time, it was $20, which was so much money back then. I was like, oh, I can't do that, but I have to. But I can't, but I will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we would go and I like all I would do is spend $20 on bacon. Oh, it was just yeah amazing. All right, that was a good expenditure. All right, good one. I didn't know that one. All right, go ahead, Mish. What about off campus? Oh, off campus. I feel like I went to Thai cuisine a lot, mostly because I had friends who would drive me there. What about bars? What What were your favorite bars in College Town? If I was in the mood to see a fight break out, I would go to the Palms. Oh God, yeah, that was <laughs> there pretty. was always a fight. Yeah, really. <laughs> Okay. There's always police presence. Um, how often like were you in the mood to see a fight break out? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thursdays only. She was grumpy on Thursdays. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I felt like Rulofs was like classier. I liked briefly, I, I know it's gone. All of these places are gone. Yeah. I was into Stella's. Okay. Don't know Stella's. That was short lived. We are yeah. learning a lot. <laughs> God. How about, did you have a favorite place to study or a favorite library? study. That's cute. Um, <laughs> you took science. I did. I did. I, I didn't say I did well. Um, <laughs> I had worked at Man Library. So since they gave me a paycheck, I, I guess they're my favorite. So your kids are young and, and still a ways away from going off to college. But do you, what, what advice would you have to an incoming freshman? Probably, I guess the same advice that one of my older cousins who had gone to Cornell gave me. Because I was very shy and very introverted through most of high school. I still, I guess, kind of am. But he had taken me, I was looking at Washington University and he was looking at grad school there. So he offered to take me and, you know, he wanted me to go to parties, roam around. And I just wanted to watch the movie that was on HBO in the hotel room. And he's like, no, you really need to go and hang out with the people you're staying with. And I was like, "Mm, yeah, I'm just going to watch the movie. (laughs) He sits me down. He kind of looks me in the eye. He's like, listen. You're going to go to college next year. You're going to have to push yourself out of your comfort zone. Yeah. You're going to have to force yourself to be outgoing. Otherwise, you're going to sit in you know, your dorm room and watch the movie every night. Yeah. But I really internalized it. And when I got to Cornell, I pushed myself to be more outgoing than I actually am. So I could make friends, meet people, do things. 
Yeah. Good advice. Good advice. How about thinking back to your senior year and the job hunt and wrapping things up? Do you have advice to outgoing seniors? I, I feel like it's so different now because I feel like now everybody goes to grad school or law school or meds. Like there's always like a next step. Yeah. You know, when I was graduating, we're like, oh my God, we're at the precipice. There's nothing else. <laughs> we have to know what we want to do right now. <laughs> But I, I guess the advice is you don't have to know what you want to do right now and try not to get stuck in a rut. Like you don't want to get so many people I know wound up with jobs that they hated, but because they worked so hard for it and, you know, dug in for so long, they're kind of stuck. Yeah. So don't be afraid, at, you know, at 45 to try to explore another area. Yeah. This is the part where we get to really pick your brain and find out what a very cool cartoonist and also art teacher does in her spare time. So tell us, do you have a favorite TV show that you could recommend? I did just finish the after party, but it just had such an amazing cast. I had to watch it. I'm not familiar with it. Are you, Michelle? No, I am not. And is that embarrassing that we don't know it? Uh, Yeah. What, What was it on? I definitely know what it was on. I think it was on Apple Plus. Oh, I like Apple Plus. All right. Well, we'll have to look for it. What about, do you have a favorite podcast? This is going to sound like a horrible person. I don't listen to podcasts very often, but my my husband swears by Mark Maron's podcast. Wow. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Do you have a book that you've read over the years that you would recommend? It doesn't even have to be anything recent, just something that really stayed with you that you could recommend to our listeners. I love anything by Jennifer Egan. Yeah. I heard there, there's a sequel to Visit from the Goon Squad, which I definitely have to pick up. I hadn't read anything quite like that before. And it was just mesmerizing. Okay. Tell us the, your website and how people can find you. Because I'm sure after listening, they're going to want to look at some of your work. <laughs> they can find me in a middle school classroom. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm always there. <laughs> it's just my name. It's Ali-Solomon, A-L-I-S-O-L-O-M-O-N. Yeah, I have Instagram. Great. All right. We encourage everyone. Yeah. I mean, we're, tr- it's hard to do justice to the work because we're describing something that really is so yes. visual. So hopefully everyone can go check out all of the great things that you've done. Thank you. When you think back to your experience at Cornell, we always ask our guests what the one thing is that they're most thankful to Cornell for. How would you answer that question? Is it really cheeseball if I say my friends? Like, no. Is that what everybody says? A lot of people, not everyone, but that's, yeah, that's a common answer. But yeah, like elaborate. Let's just say like at my wedding, there was about 20 people who were from my floor freshman year. That's, that's incredible. how tight we were, how close we stayed. And, you know, it's, you know, part of it is propinquity and part of it is just, you know, you get that choice for the first time to like choose who you want to be friends with. And and it was wonderful. It's wonderful. Well, I hope you do go viral and your work continues (laughs) to be seen by so many people because really you, you do such great work. It's humorous and it's light and it's, um, meaningful and, um, just wish you all the best. We want to continue to follow all of the great things that you're doing. Good luck with your next book. Oh, thank you. You infuse joy into a time where there's not that many funny things happening. And so just to be able to look at one or two of your things a day really makes everything seem a little, a little better. So thank you. And thank you for making time to be with us today. My pleasure. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Join us next week for another episode of the Cornell Thank You Podcast.